Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I am coming to you today from my home near Blaine Lake, Saskatchewan, which is located on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis. I'm really excited about our guest today. It's Jim Robson, who is a faculty member at the University of Saskatchewan School of Environment and Sustainability. And I was fortunate enough to be in some of Jim's classes during during my master's program at the university. And I'm really excited for you guys to get to hear a bit about his experience and his work and his life. So welcome, Jim. Thanks so much for being here today. Oh, it's great to be here, Jenna. Um, thanks for the uh, opportunity. It's good to see you after after a few years. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking, folks, about how uh, uh, we haven't seen each other since 2018. But if you calculate that 2020 was roughly three and a half years in total, it's been a while since we've seen each other. So yeah, here we yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, it seems um, a long time ago. Yeah, for sure. So, Jim, just to get us started, um, can you tell us just a bit about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, where you're from, um, and yeah, maybe a bit of a story about how you ended up in in Saskatoon at the University of Saskatchewan. Oh, that's a long story, how I got here, (laughs) but uh, maybe I'll do bits of it and then maybe the rest will come out in the conversation. Um, So yeah, my name's Jim. Um, I was... Probably you can tell from the accent that I didn't grow up in Canada. Um, I grew up in England. In Cheshire, which is just south of Manchester, the northwest of England. And, um, you know, I spent the first 27 years of my life there. Um, And then I think after, well, after doing a master's degree, um, I moved to Mexico. And I was in Mexico for the best part of six years, which was a real formative experience for me. Um, we'll probably talk about that later because I think it it frames what I'm doing now and why I'm interested in sustainability. Um, and that after after spending some time in Mexico, I, for some reason, not sure if this was a mistake or not, but for some reason I wanted to do a PhD and I needed a break from Mexico. Um, I wanted a break from Mexico, and so I looked at Canada, and um, I applied to a, a couple of programs in Canada, and I was fortunate enough to um, to work with someone at the University of Manitoba. And so, in two thousand and six, I moved to Winnipeg, um, and then I was in, you know, I was on and off in Winnipeg for the next ten years before I got the position at SENS at the University of Saskatchewan. So I moved with my family to Saskatoon in 2016. Yeah, so doing a slow, slow tour of the prairies, I guess, heading heading west. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I'm sure a bit of a, um, a climatic shock moving from Mexico to Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, it's, it's funny. My first... Um, 
one of my first memories of Winnipeg is I I was renting a an apartment in um, Corridon, which is sort of a yeah one of one of the neighbourhoods in sort of central central Winnipeg, and um, I was renting this apartment from a you know a previous previous student in the PhD program I was going into. Right, she was leaving. I was starting and she said, well, you can take my apartment. So I, I moved in there. And when I got in, you know, it was sort of fall and it was getting kind of chilly. And I, I couldn't quite work out why there were mosquito screens on the, on the windows, right? Because I thought Winnipeg is going to be freezing, which it was. But then it's also really hot and humid. In the, well, not humid, but hot in the summer. It's this, you know, it's crazy extremes here between winter and summer and so yeah it was a shock um but I guess those 10 years in Winnipeg prepared me for Saskatoon so coming here wasn't much of a deal in fact I think it's it's a little bit less windy here that's my yeah if I'm not mistaken I think you're right I would agree um I grew up in the southeastern part of Saskatchewan and yeah, Saskatoonians who haven't lived in other places, are, they'll complain about a windy day. And I'm like, but it's not. It's definitely windier in southwest and southeast Saskatchewan. So um, I, 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 should, I should add here that, that growing up in England also prepared me for a particular characteristic of people in the prairies, maybe in Canada more generally, is that in both places, we're kind of obsessed with the weather. So it's a conversation starter, right? It's always a conversation starter here. If you've got nothing else to say, if you need to say something, you say something about the weather. Well, the same thing kind of happens in England because our weather is so changeable. Yeah. We never know what's going to happen. Um, so it's kind of an, it was an interesting kind of, you know, comparison between the two places. That's interesting. Probably some like... Uh nostalgia for home people talking about the weather all the time yeah Yeah, that's awesome um so Jim can you talk a little bit about um just about about your research and and share with folks sort of um you know you talked about your your master's and then moving to Mexico and and then doing your PhD and I know it has changed a lot and we'll talk about that kind of as we talk more specifically about sustainability but um yeah if you can just share share a bit about um yeah about that part of your your work yeah I mean I think maybe I'll so I I can talk about my research but I think the seeds of, of you know of what I do now is uh, were, were planted back in those experiences of leaving England, going to Mexico. So if I start there, then I think it will help make sense of what I do now. Um, sure. So, I, I mean, you know, I, I did an undergrad in geography. I was always really interested in sort of people and places, right? And and after I after I uh, finished my undergrad in geography I was working and then I was saving up and then I did quite a lot of traveling I was very fortunate to be able to do a lot of traveling um working as well abroad but I had about two and a half years away from England traveling and working um I just loved I just loved the diversity right in the world and and every country I was fortunate enough to go to I loved for different reasons and I think it's because of that sort of learning about people and place I just had that you know interest always and then when I came back from traveling, I was kind of a bit lost because I, I had such a, it was a bit of a downer being back at home. It was kind of boring. And um, 
I thought, well, I can't, I just can't keep traveling. It's just not sustainable <laughs> all sorts of reasons. Um, I think I should probably go and get a master's or something and then start trying to get into a line of work that kind of allows me to continue to explore this question of people and place and the connections between people and place. And um, so I did a master's in the UK um, uh, in environment development and policy, um, which was really good, really good experience. And, and um, I happened to meet a girl there who was Mexican and that took me to Mexico. You know, these things don't happen by, you know, it wasn't planned. It just, you know, life, life happens, right? When I got to Mexico, I had this degree, I had this master's degree. I had some sort of academic training and what have you, but I didn't really have any practical experience of sort of doing research, um, of doing field work, of, of understanding, really grappling with some of the issues on the ground. And I was really fortunate to, um, get to know someone at the National University in Mexico City who happened to be looking for someone to help her organize a big international conference and so she she wanted someone with with um I, I guess I guess good English language skills and, and sort of a grounding in in sort of the themes of, of environmental sustainability but she hired me but in hiring me I also became part of her research team and, and she was um I guess one of the main people in Mexico working in the area of sort of community forestry. So there's a lot of forest in Mexico and people might not know this, but a lot of that forest is owned by local communities. It's not owned by the state. It's not owned by private corporations. Property rights have been given to uh, local communities and so these communities have their territories and in their territories, they often have forests and they have the rights around who accesses and uses and manages that forest. So they have to do that themselves, right? They have to self-organize. They have to figure out a way to do that and to do it sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was, I had a chance to visit, start visiting forest communities in Mexico and understand that this world existed. Um, and learned a lot from those experiences, um, sort of really became passionate about wanting to know more about how how communities of people who share access to resources um, work together, collaborate, cooperate, disagree. It's not easy work, right? But how do they do that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes it isn't. But I kind of wanted to know more about, you know, wow, so, you know, this is kind of different from how we think of forest conservation, right? We always think of forest conservation as requiring protected areas and national parks. Um, you know, people are bad for trees, right? Yeah. You know, there's that. Well, I was going to places where there was, these were forests of high conservation value, high biodiversity, but they were managed by local people. So um, I got really interested in that. And that, like, after five, six years working in those in in that sort of area, um, I was keen to I was keen to sort of go back to school, do a PhD, but I kind of knew what I wanted to work on, which was the issue of how these kinds of places and these communities maintain those those kind of systems and those structures of forest management and conservation despite the fact that they're facing all sorts of challenges and changes in, mm-hmm. um, in their world, right. In, in how rural areas are 
are changing. Um, and I was particularly interested in this phenomenon of migration of, of people leaving these communities to go to the city. Um, and I thought, well, that must be impacting their ability or their, their capacity to work collectively in these in these sort of community forestry, community land management processes, right? Mm-hmm. That then got, I did my PhD on that. My PhD was in Mexico. The field work was in Mexico, looking at the impact of migration, human migration, rural urban migration on these forest commons, as I would call them. Um, and ever since then, that's kind of been my my sort of my main interest in in research is to understand how rural communities remote rural communities sometimes indigenous sometimes not but communities that have a close connection to the land around them uh, and the resources they manage um sort of real interest in in how those communities do that but more importantly how they're having to maybe adapt some of the things they do because of some of the challenges they're facing through you know environmental change demographic change social change all those things right so that's been that's been sort of the mainstay of my research program that I've been sort of trying to develop and I still do most of that work in Latin America so have projects at the moment in Mexico and Bolivia but also interested in in those questions in the Canadian context as as well they are it's a bit of a ramble isn't it no, thank you for sharing that. Um, this is good for me too, because um, I mean, I, I have a bit of a background and I know fellow students who have done work with you, um, but this has been good for me to sort of hear a bit more about your whole story because it, it uh, yeah, nothing is ever what you're working on today. It's always this much longer, you know, compilation of of experiences and, and work that you've done in the past. So yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and you fall into some certain things. You know, some things aren't planned. Yeah. But, you know, those pathways, are, are, they just sort of emerge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you follow them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you're, if you're able to and, and brave enough to <laughs> jump on the things that aren't planned, it usually, I mean, from my experience anyway, it tends to lead to other good things. But, um, yeah, that's very cool especially uh, how you ended up in Mexico. It's one of those things that like, yeah, would you have gone otherwise? Would you have ended up re- doing any work in Latin America, which is where your focus is now? Like, it's just, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, but but also, would I would I have gone to Mexico if I hadn't had my travel experience previously that that, that taught me that you just do stuff and you, you, you take advantage of opportunities and you, you, you go and experience new places? Mm-hmm. Right, I, I'm 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 very much one for for experiencing stuff, right? Yeah, um, and you might not enjoy it, but you've experienced it, and it will it will help in your development. Yes, yeah, it's it's the building blocks of of you and and your experiences. So, yeah, that's very cool. So, you talked about this a, a little bit, Jim, but I'm curious. Of, um, I'm curious about this this the sustainability aspect in particular and and sort of your life history or or life story and you know we talked about this a lot on the podcast and I think it's kind of been an interesting way to hear and weave stories together but um so if can you 
like, is there a memory or, or something from your childhood or, you know, can you pinpoint a time? Um, and like, I, like we were just talking about, it's, it's accumulation of things, but where does your sustainability story begin or your interest? Um, you said, you, you know, you were always interested in people and places and the connection between people and place. Um, you know, is there something in particular memory wise that, that led you to that interest or was it sort of just always uh, inherent? I, I don't know. It's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I don't think there was any, was it from my upbringing? I'm not sure. Um, I mean, it wasn't like my mum and dad were taking me off camping all the time and things like that. It was, we didn't do any of that. Um, um, although I think, you know, I think I remember my, 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 my grandpa was always very keen on um, birds and he, I remember he, he enrolled me in the Young Ornithologist Society of the UK. And so I, I you get exposed to certain things. I don't think at the time it necessarily resonated. Well, you know, I didn't know it was resonating, but maybe those things do. And, and appreciate, certainly I've always had an appreciation for nature and I've always had an appreciation for place. I've always loved the outdoors. Mm-hmm. So I can think about courses I took at school, subjects I took at school when I had a chance to choose before going to university. I remember taking geology. I love geology. Not not because I love rocks. It's because I love going to places, <laughs> fine rocks. Field courses. So, <laughs> Field courses, exactly. I like geography for the same reason. So I, you know, there was obviously something there. And then I think the travel, the travel, and I said I, I did a lot of traveling. I think that's been really important, formative, because and around sustainability as well, because I started to understand the diversity in the world, right? You can't, there is no one idea or definition of or what sustainability means to people or what it should mean. It depends on you where you are and who you are and how you live and what's yeah you know, what's your reality like and and I think traveling to a diverse set I, mean, I went to many many countries I was very lucky each one's different each one's got its own different realities and different challenges and sustainability in those different places looks very different but it's mm. it, 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 at the heart of it is something around the connection between people and place people and the land people you know um, and I went to places where you could perhaps see that connection was maybe more visceral or stronger than in in other contexts and um that stuck with me and then obviously the experience in mexico seeing how people depend upon like have a direct dependence upon the resources around them right in a way that if you live in the city you don't right um so all of that yeah not sure if that answers the question but no it does for sure it that's thank you for sharing and I think it's interesting because I reflect a lot as well on you know what I thought sustainability meant or um you know being good to the environment meant going into university as an 18 year old as opposed to coming out of university and and similarly having done a lot of travel and visited different places and learned from different people and especially different cultures and and even here in in Canada learning so much from indigenous communities about that um you know that shift or that um recognition that you know my definition or understanding of it was obviously coming from my own 
view of the world or my own um, experience mm-hmm. with the world. And as that experience grew um, and was shaped by these other cultures and, and understandings of, of, you know, maybe not using the term sustainability, but what sustainability meant, um, you know, that, that definition just got so much more broad, also so much more complex because it's not a simple simple thing right but that's also so important is that it isn't a simple thing it is complex and it is it is you know we do experience it in a certain way based on our culture and our history and our and our privilege and and all of those types of things so yeah and it doesn't it, it it it's it's tied to your experiences and um it it's um you know, I think about our students, right, at the University of Saskatchewan and, and maybe the undergrads that I, it's, you know, we, we ask them to, you know, define sustainability. Man, that's not easy. Like even to, to ask them, challenge them to think about what sustainability means to them. And it's, it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle for me. And I, I yeah. teach in sustainability. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not an easy and even if you even when you get to a definition, right, is and that is one of the questions we we talk a bit about is, you know, what does sustainability mean to you and how do you use a sustainability lens in your work? Um, And, you know, there's sort of the people will kind of share the sort of the textbook definition of of it. And then all of a sudden they kind of, you know, everybody's kind of questioning, oh, but also, but it also, and then it also, and there's, you start adding these layers because it's never just that, there's never just that simple context. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right. This is much bigger than just the textbook yeah. definition of it. Yeah. And it, I think it depends on your personal circumstances as well. Uh, the realities you're living in. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think you could be, you could be living, you could be young living in the city and it might be, it might be strongly focused around consumption and things like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sort of focused on that. I think if you, you know, have you got children, Jenna? I don't know. Have you got, have you got kids? No. If you've got kids, I think when you have kids, it changes because for me, sustainability now, I, I'm thinking about my, you know, my daughter and I don't mean that in the sense of that sort of classic, you know, we have to think about, you know, the fu- the Brundtland right. definition about the future generations. It's, but it's about, well, isn't my role in advancing sustainability about giving my daughter certain experiences and maybe exposing her to some realities that she can then reflect on and internally. If it, we talked about where does my sustainability story come from and it's from stuff that's happened in the past well I'm thinking about the experiences I give to my daughter the things she's able to see and do will shape what she does in in 10 15 20 years time and then subsequently when she perhaps has children so forth right or not maybe she doesn't have children (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. you know so it, it it shifts right yeah um and then, you know, for me, it's also in my job. So I'm thinking about I, sustainability. What's my role with sustainability? Well, I, I have an opportunity with the students that I meet and the things I teach. I teach to them or tell them, talk to them about all the experiences I create for them. Yeah. But all of those things are going to shape their sustainability pathways. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 not just about me and what I how I think what I think sustainability is or what I'm doing personally or my family's but it's it's about how you can um, how you interact with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you say, in, in your case, although I, I believe this to be true for, for all of us in some ways, but, um, you know, in your case, talking about you do have access to these, um, you know, opportunities to teach and share and, and share experiences and build experiences into people's lives. And, um, and like you said, or like, like we both said, you know, there was these experiences either in our undergraduate level or maybe our master's level that really changed you know, your entire idea of what something meant. And so, yeah, it's, you're able to kind of be that experience or, or hopefully be that experience for, for other students as well. So. Yeah. But, but it's also a two way, it's a two way street, right? Because, um, you know, there's one of the, one of the courses I've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in for the last few years is this undergraduate course, sustainability in action. Mm-hmm. Um, which is our sort of capstone, it's our culmination. We, we offer a certificate, an undergraduate certificate in sustainability at SENSE. And this is kind of the culminating course and the students who take it, you know, kind of take the reins in that course, right? We don't, we don't instruct. We do a little bit of guiding, maybe mentoring, but it's really, the, it's the students who take the reins because they come up with, with project ideas sustainability related on campus or in this in the sort of broader community about changes they want to see positive changes they want to see and projects that can help deliver that kind of change and they get an idea and they just go with it and we don't we don't stop you know we don't frame what they have to do we don't tell them no that's not a good idea we just let them go um it's a very different way of teaching right it's this sort of more open inquiry approach uh, we're not spoon feeding them. Mm-hmm. They're we're just giving them <laughs> giving them some agency. You get inspired by what they do, yeah. Right, and they students don't normally get that opportunity at university, mm-hmm. right? And so, which is why some of them really enjoy the course. And they say in the in the you know the feedback, we always get the feedback saying, "I've not taken a course like this before," and that's because university is normally spoon feed, right? It's closed yeah. inquiries. This is this is what you need to know. And you're just given it. Um, this is where they they find out about themselves. They develop their own ideas and they see where it takes them. It's a journey. There's no expectations. Uh, they decide how to be assessed on their projects. Um, we don't. So that experience, and I can say that's not a course that I've developed. That's that comes from um, Colin Colin Larock, Nagbio, who's a wonderful teacher. Uh, and and then Phil Loring, who was at SENS prior, was heavily involved as well. And so they've developed a course that's really inspirational, I think, for the students, but also for the faculty when you get to teach yeah. it, because you learn so much from the students, right? Yeah. Because it, it's also about seeing them come alive, because they've they're given the opportunity, mm-hmm. right, and the stuff they can do. Yeah. Even this past year, with it all happening remote, we were a little bit worried, right? How's it going to work? Well, it wasn't quite the same, but my goodness, there were some really cool projects. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think even being able to see, 
because you're not spoon feeding them, they're going to come to challenges, right? They're going to, they're going to realize maybe an idea that they thought was, was really strong, um, needs a lot of work, uh, and, and coming and seeing people work through with their own agency, work through those challenges, realize it's a challenge, you know, define what the challenge is and then figure out a solution and, and come up with that solution as a part of how they work through their project. Again, I think that's what we want university to be, but that isn't usually what it is, right? Like when you're, when this is the box, you have to do your writing. I don't know, your writing assignment in, you're not going to get that same level of, okay, here's the problem. I I recognize the problem. Um, You know, here I'm brainstorming some potential solutions. I think the best one is going to be this. And then, you know, pivoting and taking it in a new direction. Um, That's, that's inspiring, but also um, hugely beneficial for those students because that's that's what life outside is actually like, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so um, I'm not saying that all university instruction can be like that, but then no. I think there is there is there is opportunity for more of it, mm-hmm. especially if especially if we want uh, students to come out of their programs to be sort of brave, creative, innovative, to be change makers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got to give them those experiences um, and that confidence that they can they can do stuff. Yeah. They're capable, more than capable. Yeah. Right? Um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they often are. It's interesting. You hear, and I'm sure you, you experience this a lot, but I, you know, I'll hear people um you know generations older than me make comments about oh you know kids these days or youth these days and I'm at a point in my life now where the kids or the youth graduating from high school are 10 or 12 14 years younger than me um and most of the time when I get to spend some time with and experience them um like it's amazing like they're 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 there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that they're going to be challenged with and currently are challenged with that weren't big things, weren't that challenging things for me at that age. And they're having to, to confront and to deal with and to talk about. And, um, I'm just always so inspired and impressed by, by the way they carry themselves in, in the world and, and deal with these challenges. And so, um, yeah, giving them the opportunity to feel confident that they can come up with a, a solution and solve a problem is huge. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, really yeah. cool. Um, so can you can you share a little bit, uh, Jim? I So obviously I, I know a lot about SENS. I, I know a lot about um, the programs within SENS. Um, but I wanted to make sure the folks listening kind of understand a little bit about the School of Environment and Sustainability at the University of Saskatchewan um, in terms of, you know, just the diversity and, and breadth of things that, that go on there. Yeah, of course. Um, well, the school, SENS is a, is a graduate school predominantly. I say that because we have our certificate, undergraduate certificate in sustainability, but um, most of the programs we run are graduate level programs. So we are a, um, 
I think we've got something like 26 or 27 faculty. Um, so it's, it's grown over the years. It, it's, um, I'm trying to think about when, when SEN started. Is it close to 15 years now? Um, I remember we had our 10-year anniversary soon after I, soon after I started in 2016. So mm-hmm. uh, getting on for sort of 15 years in existence. Um, and we have a, a diverse faculty uh, who come from quite different disciplinary sort of backgrounds. So we have social scientists, natural scientists, toxicologists, hydrologists. Um, and we've, we've developed sort of sort of more interdisciplinary um, focused programming, which tries to integrate some of those approaches and different disciplines together um, to, to understand and, and tackle pressing environmental and sustainability challenges of our time. And so our, our job really is to, is to train um, graduate students um, to, to make a difference in the world, right? Um, as, as we're trying to, you know, move forward on these, these sort of sustainability pathways uh, and transitions that perhaps society needs to, needs to make. We've got two sort of thesis-based, so research-intensive programs. We have a PhD program and a master's in environment and sustainability, which I think is what you were taking. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Um, And then we have a number of professional master's programs. So these are more course-based, shorter, course-intensive professional programs. So... The thesis-based programs are generally directed towards students who are interested in doing research, um, sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of doing research. Maybe they're interested in academic pathway, right? So they're inter- mm-hmm. for those doing a PhD, that would often be the case. The professional master's programs are much more designed for people who are already working in the field of you know, environmental planning, management, that kind of thing, whether they're working for non-profits or for government or for community organisations and who want, you know, sort of additional training or want to be immersed in some of the latest thinking around sustainability, sustainability issues. Uh, but we also, those programmes are also designed for people coming out of their undergrads, right, who are wanting to get to wanting to develop or find a career in those in those fields. And so those professional master's programs, we have um, one, the master's of water security. Uh, Water security is a big issue, right? Massive issue for Saskatchewan, for the prairies. Mm -hmm. U of S is a real leader, world leader in in, um, hydrology and water security issues. And so that's why we've developed a a master's around that. Um, And then we have a master's of of sustainability. Mm -hmm. Um, which has two streams. One is um, energy security, which again is a really important emergent area that we want to be a, a leader in and, and provide cutting edge training uh, to graduate students in. And then we have a, 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 a stream or a field of study in what we call regenerative sustainability, um, which is very much sort of a forward thinking uh, solutions oriented take on 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 sustainability challenges um, mm-hmm. and this idea that we, we, we need to move away from sustainability as being sort of um, do least harm kind of mantra to do most good um, 
and think about how we can actually start to transition or make transformations at a societal level to make positive contributions to sustainability. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I've been kind of keeping up with, um, I know there's been some really neat, like graduate level certificate type of programs that are out there too, um, which is amazing. And it's good to see because I know someone who's, you know, in a in a working role now, it's still something where I'm always searching for, um, you know, the practical tools that I, you know, I don't need to quit mm-hmm. my job to, mm-hmm. to go back to school, but I can take, you know, a couple evening courses and and get a certificate that helps to solidify a certain skill. Um, and I think that's something, again, maybe obviously not for the folks who are very much on the academic track, but for for those of us, you know, in, in, you know, a particular field of work and, and still looking to sort of refresh those skills that are, you know, more and more relevant all the time. I think I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that I, 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 cause I forgot to, is that obviously for this year, we've, um, we're offering a number of certificates, right? So it's these more bite-sized chunks where you can take, you know, nine or 10 credit units, rather than the full 30 credit units of a, of a complete program. And it's exactly mm-hmm. that. It gives, it gives a, uh, an opportunity to those who aren't able, aren't interested to, um, to take a full program. It's going to be too much. And, and it's, it's a way to have a more sort of targeted focus, sort of a, a bite-sized chunk. And then the other thing to say is just for our professional masters is that we do offer that as a full-time option or a part-time option. Mm-hmm. So normally full-time would be a sort of a 12-month program, but you can take it as a part-time 24-month program, and that's specifically designed for those who are working. Mm-hmm. So they can they can kind of balance the two. They can make it work. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I was um, – actually, I just was on a webinar yesterday for uh, – I think it's the – it's a certificate in – like I think it's climate change vulnerability assessments and planning. Um, and it's interesting because that just came across my email inbox. Um, and and moving forward, that's gonna be a, a bigger chunk of the work that I do. Like there's there's been some movement in in Alberta, um, and and actually lots of movement in Alberta, which is really great to see, but then some funding programs through the federal government to support indigenous and and rural communities to do that kind of work. So it's growing and it's, uh, you know, suddenly becoming a big part of my job. And uh, when I saw that certificate, I was like, okay, again, I can, you know, I can learn things on my own and I can learn things on the job, but having that, um, you know, those practical, tangible skills-based teachings are also so valuable um, to take with you into a work setting. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So just as a last question, um, Jim, I, so I remember this, uh, this happening or coming about, and then I was just on the website and this reminded me to ask you about this. Um, so under your title, and I know we weren't going to talk about titles, but under your title on the website, um, it has you as the UNESCO co-chair in biocultural diversity, sustainability, reconciliation, and renewal. And I remember that announcement being made when I was um still a student so I was just wondering kind of as a way to to end off here if you could share a bit more about what that is and and your work and sort of how that integrates <laughs> into sense yeah yeah um it's a long title <laughs> isn't it um, it is 
having to hit all, having to hit all the buzzwords, you see. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a. It's it started. We we got it in 2018. So I'm a co-chair, and so I I I have this chair alongside uh, Maureen Reed, my colleague at Sense, and um, it was an opportunity in that um, you know UNESCO has a certain mandate, right? So it's interested in certain things, and um, obviously education is a is a is key, but also certain areas that people are working in, and they're interested in their they, their chair network. So there's about maybe there's twenty seven chairs now in Canada. There's probably six seven hundred worldwide, and all these different chairs are working uh, on themes that resonate with UNESCO's mandate, uh, and it's normally also researchers who are doing more applied research. So it's not just sort of theoretical in the classroom, you know, um, there's some applied benefits. So you're, you're working with, with actors on the ground or you're looking to, to, to produce research that's going to have tangible benefits on the ground. Mm-hmm. Maureen and I are, are sort of both working in this area of, uh, interested in this area of sort of, um, I think, rural development, um, the biocultural, which is this interdependence perhaps between all this, this tie in between biological diversity and cultural diversity. So this idea that um, where you find most of the world's remaining biodiversity also happens to be where you find most of its cultural diversity. And this idea that there may be a very important relationship between what people do in terms of cultural practices, their uses, their institutions, their knowledges, and that having a um, potentially beneficial impact on biological diversity and vice versa. Um, and so we, um, between us as well, we're, we're working internationally and we, we've, we have a, you know, we have networks of, of partners, whether those are communities or NGOs or fellow researchers. Um, and so we, we proposed a, to put together a, a chair for UNESCO that would help build and consolidate that network and promote work that supports local, rural, remote, often indigenous communities in the places where we and our partners work, promote research that can provide support to those communities in advancing their um their activities, their policies around sort of land management, sustainability, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of where it comes from. And so we have partners in Argentina, Mexico, South Africa, Canada, different places. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a chair that hopefully we, we can continue that work. Um, it, it becomes a bit of an umbrella under which okay. we can organise um, our work and 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 consolidate and build some of those partnerships and and networks cool yeah awesome well thank you for sharing that yeah it's it's really interesting and and I know again I I kind of was a bit aware of of what that was but you know when you read the title it's not always the most clear of of you know how all those things are integrated so yeah that sounds like really cool work and lots of relevancy local as well as international and I think I think about this often there's there's lots we can learn 
you know, thinking about someone who lives rurally in Saskatchewan, um, you know, lots we can learn in our rural context from the international rural context as well. Like there's so much opportunity for these networks to, to collaborate with different communities in different places that may not seem like ours at all, but are very similar and have very similar challenges. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the, you know, one of the sort of the partners or areas that's part of this network is the, is the Rebury Lake biosphere region and some of the communities that fall within that region. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're, they're part of the network. So, you know, we, we do work in collaboration with, with them and, and also connect them with others elsewhere in, in the, in the, in the network. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Because yeah, there's such an interconnected link with with communities globally. So that's awesome. Great. Well, Jim, I feel like we could talk all day about this stuff. This has been such a great conversation, and I'm really looking forward to um, yeah having our, our listeners get to know you and get to know a little bit more about your story. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today and and share. So I appreciate it. That's there, but thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. And um, if anyone ever wants to reach out, if they're interested in in working with with me or working at Sens or taking one of our programs, then um, happy to happy to chat. Awesome. With, with, well, I'll make sure I'll make sure when um, when I go to share this episode that all of that and the website and and uh, your information is is linked there for folks as well, so they can reach you. So. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jim. Yeah, thank you. You take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.